0: Well, hello, and welcome back to today's episode of 7 Figure Millennials, where together you and I are on a mission to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships as we make our biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And as I always say, if this is your first episode, I want to say welcome. I'm beyond excited to have you hanging out with us today. And if you're returning, welcome back. You know how much I appreciate and love you for coming back every single week. And today's guest is is A.J. Jacobs. A.J. Jacobs is an author, journalist, lecturer, and human guinea pig. He has written four New York Times bestsellers that combine memoir, science, humor, and a dash of self-help. Among his books are The Year of Living Biblically, in which he followed the hundreds of rules of the Bible as literally as possible, and Thanks a Thousand, in which he travels the globe to thank everyone who has even the slightest role in making his morning cup of coffee. He is a contributor to NPR, The New York Times, and Esquire, among others. He has given several TED Talks, including ones about creating a one-world family and living healthy that have amassed over 10 million views. He lives in New York City with his wife and three sons, and he was the answer to one down in the March 8, 2014 New York Times crossword puzzle. He is the owner of the world's hardest and most time-consuming puzzle ever made. His newest book is called The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzle. Puzzles ever, from crosswords to jigsaws to the meaning of life. Convinced that puzzles have made him a better person, AJ set out to determine their myriad of benefits and maybe, in the process, solve the puzzle of our very existence. Well, almost. (laughs) In the puzzler, AJ meets the most zealous devotees, enters, sometimes with his family in tow, any puzzle competition that will have him unpacks the history of the most popular puzzles and aims to solve the world's most impossible head scratchers from a mutant Rubik's cube to the hardest corn maze in America to the most sadistic jigsaw. And if AJ's name and bio is familiar, that's because AJ is a return guest. He was also episode number 33 that I titled Posing Naked, Connecting with Ludacris and Daniel Radcliffe, Almost Getting Killed by Einstein and Opossum Nipples. <laughs> so I would highly recommend checking out as that episode as well and if you can't tell already from his bio and from the title of the first episode aj is an awesome eclectic really cool guy that does all these crazy experiments and this episode is no different so in this episode you will learn three things and so much more but as always i want you to look out for these three specific things number one how aj ended up representing team usa in the world jigsaw puzzle championship and why he quote unquote infiltrated the cia headquarters on a puzzle quest. Number two, how you can solve problems more effectively by viewing them as puzzles instead and how you can think more out of the box. And number three, we dive into how AJ practices creativity and he also shares some of his thoughts on being a writer as someone that has written four New York Times bestsellers. So all that to look forward to in today's episode. But before we dive in, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out. which this week goes to David Ogg, who left a review saying, uncover unique insights. Brandon has a way of uncovering unique insights from incredibly intelligent people. His grit, determination, curiosity, and interviewing skills are bar none. So thank you so much for those kind words, David Ogg. And if you're a returning listener and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, this is what you can do. You can head to ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. That's ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. And that's gonna show you exactly how you can leave a review you or a rating. A rating will literally take you three seconds. All you have to do is scroll up or scroll down whatever app you're listening on, tap however many stars you feel the show deserves. And that's it. You can go on your merry way. If you choose to leave an honest review like David Aug, I would appreciate that. Would love to give you a pre-show shout out. But uh, if you just have the time today to leave a rating, rating, that would help me a ton. So with all that said, with David's review, with D- AJ's crazy bio out of the way, please enjoy this incredible conversation with the one, the only AJ Jacobs. You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Mr. AJ Jacobs, welcome back to the show. Super excited to dive into the puzzler and all the other crazy shenanigans you've been up to since the last time we talked.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm delighted to be back. I, I'm honored to be a, cool. a two-time guest.
0: Yes, of course. You're welcome back anytime. I always love a good AJ Jacobs book. And as I mentioned, I'm sure in the intro, if anybody, if you haven't stopped and listened to part one, you can go and listen to part one and hear all the crazy adventures that AJ has had from attempting to thank everybody responsible for his cup of coffee and how to connect with people, all that good stuff. But today I wanted to focus on the newest news out there, which is the puzzler. And so I thought a really fun place to start was my favorite story that you tell in the book, AJ, and it has to. To do with chronicling your conversion from being indifferent about jigsaws to being a competitive jigsaw puzzler. So uh, would you mind sharing why you weren't a fan and then tell us the story of your conversion and how you ended up representing Team USA in the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championship?
1: <laughs> I would be honored. And yeah, I, I've loved puzzles since I'm a, I've been a kid, but mostly crossword puzzles and, and number puzzles, logic puzzles, never loved jigsaw puzzles. Uh, I just thought they were, they were too, e- not easy, they were too uh, sort of basic. Uh, and boy, was I wrong. I, I asked, as you say, I'm a convert, I am a convert. So uh, I'm writing this book about puzzles and how I think that they are good for people and good for humanity and uh, i knew i had to do a chapter on jigsaws because they're like the the prototypical puzzle so i um, i'm searching on the internet for something to write about jigsaws and i run across the world jigsaw championship in spain uh, which was happening in two months and this was right before COVID. and i i noticed there were 40 countries represented brazil uganda mexico no USA. So I said, oh my God, well, why don't I try to be U- team USA? So I, I send in uh, my application figuring that I'm then going to have to do like all sorts of, uh, you know, tests to try to, and he, sa- he emails me back the next day. You are team USA. <laughs> so I got, I got my wife and my sons and we flew to, to Spain and we competed in the world jigsaw puzzle championships and we got trounced we were just an embarrassment to our country i am sorry america <laughs> we came in we didn't come in last we came in second to last uh we did beat spain uh to one of the hometown teams so i feel good about that but what i loved was first of all seeing people competing at this highest level uh, just the skill was remarkable even if it's an activity that is kind of silly. I love to see people at the top of their game, and these people—they practiced, you know. They, I'm sure they had done the 10,000-hour rule, and their hands were flying, and they had all of these strategies that I had never even contemplated. So it just brought home how even this seemingly simple and and not uh, very sophisticated type of puzzle was filled with surprises and all of these ways of, uh, all these hacks that are uh, delightful and and I can go into some of them. But it was, um, it was a real wake up call that what, you know, don't take things for granted. Don't, uh, and and I say this all the time, like uh, uh, the stereotype is that accounting is boring. I think if I dove into accounting, it would be fascinating and there would be all these little twists and turns. So same with jigsaw puzzles, all of these uh, wild uh, little twists and turns.
0: Love that. And I I always just say any A.J. Jacobs book is good. It always makes me laugh out loud whenever I'm reading. And this story is full with a whole bunch of those things. What I highlighted this line, finally, at six hours and two minutes, we finish our first puzzle that is <laughs> and oh, that was yeah. like the time when, when everybody else had finished and it seemed like the, you know, the more competitive people had division of labor with some, some, some people sorting the puzzles and another person assembling and they had box cutters and different sorted of things. I could I could just imagine being there and be like, Holy shit, I'm way, way out of my league, but this is <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We had eight hours to, uh, every team had to finish four big puzzles, like a, thousand to two thousand pieces, and uh, and the Russians uh, w- were and there were rumors they were doping, but uh, unconfirmed. <laughs> but they finished in uh, in like three and a half hours, and we uh, finished one of the four puzzles in six hours. Uh, but again, it was just fascinating to see. And I'll just give you I'll give you two quick jigsaw puzzle strategies that made me see jigsaws and life differently one was that you um like you say division of labor that's what the really good teams do so one person was in charge of edges one person was in charge of colors one person was in charge of the monochromatic the skies and the ocean those are always deadly Mm. and the secret by the way to those is that The sky is never just the same color blue, the shades, uh, there's different shades of blue within the sky. So you really have to be attuned to the subtlety. And I use that as a metaphor. I I tell my kids that nothing is black and white, everything is shades of gray. So really pay attention to the subtlety and nuances. Uh, They are not interested in that lesson, but I think it's very important.
0: That's incredible, and I just to add on another detail that I had highlighted is that uh, tell tell us a little bit about the Ugandan competitor <laughs> that you faced, oh, the yeah. one from Uganda.
1: <laughs> well, you know, your podcast is a lot about inspiration. This to me was one of the most inspirational stories. It was a guy from Uganda who was colorblind, but he loved jigsaws so much that he became a competitive jigsaw player. So he's a colorblind jigsaw player so it's like the um i forget the name of the one-handed pitcher who threw a no hitter that to me is the same level of inspiration so he he ended up topping you
0: didn't he (laughs) oh yeah i kicked my ass it was embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) but inspiring happy for him yeah so cool so i wanted to start there not only because i thought it was a awesome story but i wanted to kind of gently dip our toe in the water into these crazy forays into the world of puzzle that, puzzles that you've experienced, but I would love for you to, to zoom back out a little bit even more and explain a little bit more as to why puzzles, like what I, I know lots you talk about the book is like, it's not only about puzzles, it's like there's a, it fits into a broader perspective of helping us to think differently. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about how puzzles have maybe shifted your worldview a little bit and kind of what your goal of the book was going into it.
1: Absolutely, well, I started writing a totally different book about three years ago. It was a totally different topic. It was all about the truth crisis and what do we know, which is actually a very interesting uh, topic still to me, but it was making me miserable. And so after about three months, I said, uh, "Well, I don't know this is, I'm, I don't want to be miserable for two years. so what should I what if I did?" A book about something i truly love and that happens to be puzzles i have always loved puzzles as a kid i drew mazes on by pencil and and crosswords i do every night and so i took a deep dive and by the way the pandemic was sort of the golden era to do this because puzzles just took off Uh, and i discovered that my thesis is puzzles are not a waste of time quite the opposite they make us better thinkers they teach us life lessons they make us more innovative creative even more compassionate more uh, give us more grit so i am uh full on the the puzzle train and there were just so many different genres of puzzles that i didn't know anything about so it was a deep dive into uh everything from jigsaws to secret codes and I went to the CIA headquarters to look at one of the most famous uncracked secret codes to chess puzzles. I played chess with Gary Kasparov and I won't tell you who won. I don't want to ruin that part of the... Uh... <laughs> he won. But uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> but uh, yeah, learning about chess puzzles. Uh, so it was a wonderful two years. I loved researching. I didn't love writing it. I, I still hate writing. Uh, just sitting alone in a room is, I find, uh, incredibly depressing. But I feel very lucky to be a writer in that I can research, and then I can talk to people like you about it, and and that I love.
0: Yeah, so the the fun for you is the guinea pigging, I guess, if we were to put a term on that. maybe, maybe we I can... like
1: the verb, yeah.
0: <laughs> maybe we can uh, dive into some strategies on how to be Better guinea pigs. I, I just as a, a a seed to plant here. My wife and I are doing improv classes starting this week, and it was just uh, a fun little thing that I thought would uh, increase my abilities as a podcaster. And so maybe I'll explain some of my adventures into the world of improv. But let's dive into some of the content of the puzzler. So just so everybody listening. Understands You kind of dive into different types of puzzles and then explain the the cool characters that you met, the famous people in each section. And so I wanted to start by zooming in a little bit further in the book, but math and logic puzzles. Uh, and specifically, I wanted to start with your meeting Tanya Kovanova. Co- I don't know if I, I got that. So um, tell us about uh, what question she asked you right as you got on the call. And then there are a few things I want to go from there. <laughs>
1: yeah, sure. Right. Like you said, it's got Uh, Different chapters on different types of puzzles and it also has puzzles in it. So that is and also a contest uh, a $10,000 hidden contest. So Uh, Anyway, uh, but yes back to logic and math puzzles Uh, one of the Top logic and math solvers in the world is this woman who who emigrated from Russia from the Soviet Union And she has a blog where she's printed some of the hardest puzzles ever known to humans. And she is tough because she's like she's like the Sphinx. She won't let you pass unless you answer her riddle. So when I got on the phone or got on Zoom with her, she said, now wait, I'm trying to remember. The riddle was, um, I have two coins. They add up to 15 cents. One of the coins is not a nickel what do I have? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I I was not expecting this. But I did something that is a very important part of solving any puzzle, any problem, is to look at the language and see what's hidden in the language. And in this case, she said one of them is not a nickel. She didn't say both of them are not a nickel. So, what if one of them was a nickel, and one of them is a dime? And that was my guess, and she said, you passed. And I was allowed to interview her.
0: There you go, and you were you were, you were able to dive into the mind of the Sphinx itself. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I love that. I love that you had to pass, and you passed with flying colors. And so, I, the reason why I wanted to start here is because I think this opens up uh, some great opportunities for us to dive deeper, and talk about what you've learned about getting yourself to think outside of the box because that question in and of itself, like you had to sit and think about the broader perspective and kind of look at the different words and you explain in your book, there's uh, several favorite ways that you are thinking outside of the box. And one of them is figuring out the real goal uh, so I guess we just we just came off of the the nickel and the dime problem, but one of the ones you also talk about is the fly problem. So I thought this would be a great way to figure out to teach people about the importance of figuring out the real goal. So um, if it's okay with you, AJ, I'll read it, and then you can kind of explain uh, like how you went about thinking about it, and and how you would encourage people to ask underlying questions that may solve the question at a higher level. Does that sound Love like a it. plan? Okay, Not cool. It. So so here's the riddle, the fly problem. Two boys on bicycles, 20 miles apart, begin racing directly toward each other. The instant they started, a fly on one handlebar of one bicycle started flying straight toward the other cyclist. As soon as it reached the other handlebar, it turned and started back. So this is a very disciplined fly. It doesn't go <laughs> all over the place. It's going directly. So so flies the fly continues to fly back and forth in this way from handlebar to handlebar until the, do, the two bicycles meet. If each bicycle had a constant speed of 10 miles an hour and the fly flew at a constant speed of 15 miles per hour, how far did the fly fly? So um, if you want to pause and try to figure out what happened there uh but i i my initial reaction uh aj was to do exactly what you thought most people's reaction was is like okay let me let me figure out the distance between the handlebars and go back and forth but um if you think about what, what i said in the beginning figuring out the real goal you can actually solve it much more efficiently so would you would you share share how we can do that
1: right yeah the key there as you say is to say what are we answering what are we really looking for and don't get caught up in the weeds quite yet so if you think about it what we're really looking for is how far can a fly going 15 miles an hour fly in the time that it takes the bikes to meet so you don't need to add up every little back and forth back and forth and back and forth which is very hard it's called summing an infinite series it's like high level math but Step back and say, listen, these they're two, two kids on bikes, they're 20 miles apart. The bikes are going towards each other at 10 miles an hour. What, uh, how long is it going to take for them to reach? Like that's simple math. It's going to take, uh, an hour. <laughs> Wait, is it going to take hour, an hour? An hour, yeah, yeah, an hour. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, because you know, 10 miles and they re- meet at the middle. Uh, so the fly is going to be flying around for an hour. And it goes at 15 miles an hour. So what's the answer? It Then 15. it becomes totally clear, 15 miles. And that's the same answer you'll get if you do it the super complicated way. So the point is, shortcuts are sometimes wonderful. Uh, they have a bad rap, uh, but sometimes it's all about looking at the big picture. What are you trying to solve? And that can be in business, that can be in personal life uh, and I give an example in my personal life, uh, which is kind of goofy, but it, it it was the first one that came to my mind, which was I was, during the pandemic, trying to cut my own hair, and it was a disaster, because uh, especially the back, I couldn't see the back, so the back was all patchy, and so I stepped back and I said, now, what is the real problem I'm trying to solve? I'm not trying to solve for getting a great haircut. I'm trying to solve to look good on Zoom because all of my business was on <laughs> Zoom. So I really don't have to do anything with the back. I just have to cut the front and the sides, which I was able to do. And I left the back. So I om- I had a mullet for the first time in my life, which is not a, something I'll, I'll get back, uh, I hope. But it was the perfect solution. It was like, simplify simplify what are you solving for and i think that that is crucial in in any in any area that you're solving problems
0: love that and aj is hating me right now because he's like you're pulling out all these quiz i didn't have my entire book memorized with all these things (laughs) he's sitting uh, that's so, so sorry for that hopefully i can get you the the better details but i that that is exactly why i wanted to bring this up i think it's so relevant because like you say in the book we often complicate problems or when you look at it without really going much deeper, you can sometimes miss the much more elegant solution if you slow down and try to determine what you're actually solving for. So I think that that is a, a really easy thing, especially when the world is full of tactics. Like, you know, there's a tactic on how to do anything in the world. But if you really kind of look beyond the tactics and you look a layer higher, uh, you can actually often solve the problem uh, in, in a much more elegant way than going back and forth or the, the infinite sums and all that good stuff. So Absolutely, yeah.
1: Which I think is important. When you're faced with a problem, don't immediately dive in. Sit back and say, what is what is it I'm really trying to accomplish? So slow down in the beginning, and then you can go full force.
0: Sweet. Okay, so we've talked about some math and logic puzzles. I want to dive into another section of your book, which is all about visual puzzles. And uh, I think this it, it must have a spot in your heart because it, what do you tell the story about as a kid, uh, something that, y- you know, how you fell in love with optical illusions. So maybe tell a little bit about how you fell in optical illusions and what that has to do with uh, some tendencies you had as a kid. Uh, but your, your nighttime ritual, I guess we'll say. <laughs> right.
1: I, I did suffer and still do to somewhat some mild OCD. And so I had a bunch of rituals. I had a ritual for showering and ritual for going to sleep. And, and one of my rich part of my ritual for going to sleep was to look at that uh, famous uh, illustration of the two the vase. If you look at it one way, it's black and white. If you look at it, focus on the white, it looks like a vase. If you focus on the black, it looks like two people's faces facing each other. Uh, so their nose is almost touching. And uh, I would would almost do it like uh, an exercise. I'd say, look at the vase, look at the faces, look at the vase, look at the faces. And to this day, oh, go ahead.
0: I I was gonna say, it's come full circle. Now you get to write a book about uh, optical illusions. Who would have (laughs) thought?
1: Right, and optical illusions to me are very, they're not trivial, they are very profound because I think that they are a huge metaphor for the way we see the world. Because you, it it all depends on what you focus on. Uh, So I talked about this in my last book on gratitude. You can focus on the three or four things that go wrong every day, or you can focus on the hundreds that go right. Uh, A lot of times I feel like really jittery before a speech. And I can either interpret that as I'm, I'm totally nervous, I'm freaking out. Or I can say, no, I'm excited. I'm amped. And this is part. Uh, and you can do that with uh, with all sorts of things. I Another example, this is one, one is a, a little uh, more a little stranger. It was when I uh, go through TSA at an airport and they sort of pat me down. I say, well, I could either be really annoyed uh, or I could try to reframe it as like maybe I'm just getting like a, a very light massage. So uh <laughs> right. that is that one doesn't work quite as well but to me reframing is a, such an important skill uh and like the biggest one perhaps is uh, you know instead of reframing failure as failure reframe it as a learning there there's either learning or there's succeeding there's no failing
0: Yeah life is an optical illusion. There's the, the the meta answer there is that you can love choose it. the perspective that you love that. So or, or uh, the perspective that you were choosing to view the problem or the current situation. So love that. So uh, where I want to go from here is I would love to dive into one more of your sections. And then where I want to kind of zoom out and kind of identify some of the common themes because you've solved so many puzzles as a result of this. So it's like, high level what are some of the ways that we can actually apply puzzle thinking to solving the problems in our life or our businesses so before we get to that let's go into the Rubik's Cube and you and I have a shared affinity I have my cube right here I'm showing it on the screen to AJ nice. AJ I have to tell you I have to tell you my my first story of solving the Rubik's Cube so I got it my dad told me he would buy me a Bionicle uh, so that kind of puts my age like it was, it was a, basically one of those Lego toys uh, he told me he would buy me a Bionicle if I figured out how to do the Rubik's Cube and so I I start figuring it out and I take it to school. I'm fiddling with it. And somebody tells me they're like, oh, I can show you how to do it. I'm like, oh, that's super cool. And so she turns the, the top layer like horizontally and then pops out the middle piece. And, 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 I, and I was like, I was like, that's cheating. That's not cool. And so I, 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 I ram it. I ram the piece back in. Um, and Gianna, if you happen to be listening, you caused me so much anguish because of this, because I put the piece that she took out the wrong way back oh, into the cube, no. And so I, I studied it, and I was trying to figure it out for, like, forever, and I'm like, these algorithms aren't fricking working. And then eventually I disassembled <laughs> the whole cube, reassembled it, and then everything worked. And now I can solve the Rubik's cube, no problem. But uh, Gianna D'Amico, if you're listening, you caused me lots of anguish by, by trying to teach me how to do the Rubik's cube incorrectly. So there's oh, my introduction. <laughs> I love it. Well, let me
1: try to reframe that. I think she did you a favor. Because then you are able to see the inner workings and get to know the Rubik's Cube better and know that there are ways to arrange it that don't work. So thank you, Gianna, for teaching (laughs) Brandon an important lesson.
0: Yes. And I have since disassembled it. I know you talk uh, as a joke in the book about adding lube in your cube. There's like special lubes you can add in. Oh yeah, it's not a
1: joke for these competitive Rubik's people. Like they have serious equipment. They got, yeah, the the, the Rubik Lubik, and they've got uh, magnets and they've got all sorts of things. It's a, it's a sport. It's not, yeah, a, it's, yeah, crazy. it's not a hobby.
0: I, I didn't have the official lube. I just stuck some Vaseline inside of mine. So it's a, a little bit faster. So that was that was my approach. But but anyways, <laughs> um, let's let's talk about your, your lessons that you learned from Jeff Verasano, I think. Um, and so I, he was one of the main characters that you got to interview as a result. So who is he and what are some of the things that you learned from Jeff?
1: I love Jeff. He is one of the original Rubik's cube champions. He, way back when it started in the early 80s, he wrote a book called How to Solve the Cube in 45 Seconds, which now is an embarrassment. The record now is three and a half seconds. But back then, that was impressive. And what I love about him is he figured out the algorithms himself. So he didn't have YouTube where he could watch it. And he says that was the biggest lesson, is figuring out the algorithms. And he went on, he he went to Yale, uh, and he did not become a professional cuber. Instead, he decided to open a pizza shop in Atlanta. But what I love about Jeff is that he approaches pizza the same way he approaches the cube, which is rigorous algorithms. And he actually wrote like a 30-page pizza recipe that's on the internet is still the number one searched pizza pizza recipe because it's got the level of detail is just hilarious and he you know he tested 200 different types of oregano he figured out how exactly how long to leave the dough out down to the second uh and and exactly what position to put the pizza in and it was what i love is it's all about trial and error you know, he said he went through like a thousand f- failed pizzas. He went, he had three exploded ovens. And to me, that's the big lesson. If you want to do something well, you've got to experiment. You've got to try all hundreds of combinations. And eventually you'll come with, away with one that works really well. So he is a, a model of experimentation in the pursuit of excellence.
0: I'm curious, in your research for this, did you come across any data or interview anybody that spoke to the importance of basically treating a real-life situation like play or more like a puzzle and what the implications of having a more relaxed kind of approach to it? Have you Did, did that come across in your data? I don't remember seeing that in the book.
1: Absolutely. Uh, if you talk to psychologists, they'll all tell you that when you are faced with a problem, uh, that... If you are in a playful mood, a loose mood, then you are much more likely to come up with a solution, which is which is why when you're angry, you get the, you get tunnel vision, and it's much harder to come up with a solution. Which is a real lesson, because a lot of times I would get furious at these puzzles, and then there was no way I was going to solve them. So I'd have to step back uh, and maybe take a break, watch a funny show and then go back uh so that really is a huge important life lesson for me is uh one of the mottos of the book is don't get furious get curious so when you're faced with a problem don't get angry get curious how can i solve it what what are the what can i try what experiments can i try and, and it was actually, I didn't make up the, it, it's a motto that a psych, child psychologist uh, I was uh, reading said to when you're dealing with kids. So don't get cur- furious at your kids, get curious. Um, but I say, don't restrict it to kids. Let, do it with other people, do it with the world, do it with business, don't get curious. Don't get furious, get curious.
0: Yeah, I think that in and of itself is a massive permission for me to, and I think I've kind of done this naturally, but to look at problems more like a puzzle. And I think that's one of the things that you argue in the book is that simply reframing it from saying it's a problem to calling it a puzzle has implications. Is that is that correct based on what you found? Oh,
1: huge, huge to me. First of all, it's just uh, much more motivating. Like If I hear about the climate crisis, it makes me want to curl up in the fetal position and, and lie in the corner. But if someone says, let's look at this climate puzzle and how can we fix it? Then I'm like, all right, well, it's a puzzle. Let's get to it. Let's, get, let's figure out the solutions. So even just framing it as a puzzle makes it more motivating. It also um, implies that there is a solution. And I think life is different than puzzles in that, there's never just one solution. Like in a good puzzle, there is one solution. But in life, there are many solutions. And you've got to figure out which which are better than the others. But, uh, but going into a problem saying, you know what, there is a solution, that's huge. Just that mindset is huge.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. I'm definitely going to borrow that and thinking about things as puzzles instead of problems, and I think it makes, it engages that childlike wonder of play instead of just being so serious about everything all the time. I want to Revisit a little bit about the algorithmic thinking because I think one of the examples that you give in the book is you've started to think a little bit more quote unquote algorithmically about the the things that you do in your life. And you have a really cool I think this is kind of related to your gratitude practice that you talk about in Thanks a Thousand. But uh, talk to us a little bit about the algorithm that you do when you use related to the alphabet before you go to bed. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, so I do think algorithms implementing them through your life is is wonderful. And I talk in the book that I don't think everything can be reduced to an algorithm. There's a debate uh, whether everything, you know, humans can be reduced, and I'm not sure they can, but but some are incredibly uh, helpful, and one is when I'm going to sleep, uh, I don't count sheep because uh, I don't find that effective, but I do count things to be grateful for, and I do it in a structured way, so I do it alphabetically, so i might uh i'm falling asleep i might say start with a i'm grateful for the apple pancakes that my kids made over the weekend or b i'm grateful for uh for my talk with brandon there you go so Sweet. so there's uh, a pre-work for
0: you <laughs> yeah
1: thank you yeah yeah that'll help for tonight cool. uh so yeah i'm a big fan and i also related to algorithms are checklists I, I also am a huge fan of checklists, and I have right here in my drawer, I have a checklist of, of like 30 things I do every morning from sending a note to my mom for something that I'm grateful for to, uh, to brainstorming for 15 minutes, uh, just random ideas, which we can talk about. That's another algorithm I use. Yeah, I, want, I want
0: to zoom into both of those. Is that a, So it's a handwritten note to your mom? And no, then you send them to her or you just text I'm, her?
1: I wish I were that good. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling guilty. No, I just email her and she emails me back one thing just to remind ourselves. And then, yeah, I find, you know, for me as a writer and for entrepreneurs out there, of course, ideas are your lifeblood. Uh, so I... And some people are good at getting ideas just in the shower or walking around. I find being more disciplined about it to be very effective. So I will every morning, 15 minutes. I use my remarkable tablet, which is a little with a little um, a stylus, and I spend 15 minutes coming up with ideas. 98% of which are terrible. They're just crap. But uh, but just a the exercise of doing it to, to stretch that mental muscle. And B, there is that 2% that's like, you know what? it It's something that sticks with me like a week or a month later. I'm like, you know what? That might be valuable. Let me pursue it. So I love that. The, uh, so- every morning.
0: What, what is the structure of that? So so this, I think this might be related to some of your your other other work is I, I think it was Ben Franklin, I, I don't remember, but I, I could swear some important historical figure. we'll just put it that way, had some <laughs> uh, a habit where they, before they went to bed, they asked themselves, a question to their subconscious and then they, in the morning they woke up and started journaling on it. I don't remember where I heard that. Maybe I made it up. Who knows? Um, no, but I what is, is, is the structure that you just kind of wake up with a fresh brain and you're just going to say, here's a blank piece of paper. Let me write the first thing that comes to my mind that could be an idea. Or is it more structured? Like I'm writing a book and I need 10 ideas for this chapter free for free flow. How, do, how does the actual practice work? For you? I
1: do both. I do both. It's a great okay. question. Uh, sometimes it's, literally uh just coming up with a random topic i might have i might um have like like make my office into a playground so i have you know uh magazines or books or or objects all around for me to riff off of so sometimes it is just for instance uh it's snowing out what can i think about uh, snowmen what if it was no woman? What if it was a snow non-binary person? What if it was instead of a cigar or they or a pipe they had a vape? Uh, and again, as I say, these are not good ideas, and I'm never going to use them. But it was but this the the ability to keep that muscle going so that your brain gets out of its ruts, I think, is crucial. Sometimes though, I'll say, you know what? I need I need a book, and so. Um, so then I will say, I'm going to come up with 10 book ideas and and let myself off the hook and say, uh, probably none of them are going to be the ones for me, but I'm going to do it until I come up with 10.
0: So I've been curious. I want to go... A little bit deeper down the rabbit hole here because like i said in the beginning of many of the 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 books that i read not many of them make me just laugh out loud and you you do that so well i I love i love that in in your work but many of them come of course many of them come in like weird analogies or comparisons or just ways that you i was trying to find in my notes you had one about i think it was just off the top of my head it was about the you were like when you first discovered the jigsaw puzzle competition you're like it seems like the most random thing that you're taking something that's normally meditative and you're making it do it faster. And you had some comments about it's like a a napping competition or a yoga tournament. I just remember (laughs) laughing at that comparison. So I, I was curious just since we're down this rabbit hole, a little bit of brainstorming ideas. Do you have like, analogies or those kind of like funny quips do those come to you and you write them down and you're like i'll use this at some point or are you staring at a blank cursor and you're like i need something funny here and then it just comes out <laughs> how does that well, work
1: <laughs> a little of both a lot of it is just during that brainstorming that i was talking about so really? okay. if but if for instance i i come to uh, I, I need some new fresh idea and i'll be i'll come up with like 10 options so napping napping competition and yoga competition were just two of the uh, of the options because I do think yeah just over brainstorming almost is is a very effective practice and uh, and I just love um, metaphors I think are so powerful whether you're a writer or you're giving a a, you know, a pitch if you're an entrepreneur you know the whole uber for, mountain bikers or whatever uber for that is a very it's cliched now but it's a very effective way of so always be looking for metaphors because otherwise you just get stuck in your rut and i was actually talking to um a friend of mine who's right now getting into psychedelics uh i am not into those personally uh maybe sometime in the future but he said one metaphor he loves is that um, your mind is like a a ski mountain and you go down the same slope every day and the ruts get really deeper and deeper. And psychedelics are almost like a fresh coat of snow Mm. that lets your, which I loved. But I think you can get that fresh coat of snow without psychedelics. You can do it by constantly coming up with new ideas and constantly looking for new approaches. So whatever it is, look at it from a hundred different perspectives whether it's the snowman um uh, you take one part of it and just twist it or you you go zoom way out or you zoom way in all of these are important strategies
0: well that makes me that gives me a lot of confidence that that I don't know. I guess you read, you read. I read like your work. I'm like he's just spitting these out like they're nothing. But like so, so those no take you, you. You just have multiple ideas, and you're like you. For one sentence, you might have several ways that you can go with it, and then it, oh and then yeah, no. eventually you get the snot-inducing laugh that I have. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> A, you're very kind for the compliment, but B, yeah, no, these are. Uh, I mean, the the trick is to make it look easy, but it is painful. These are like. <laughs> Sweat, blood, and tears go into every sentence. It is, it is not easy. And I do think a lot. There are some people who who are great at just extemporaneous, uh, but but a lot of them, like Robin Williams, I'm told that he one of his one of his brilliant uh, uh, abilities was the ability to make it seem like he had just come up with it off the cuff, but that it was meticulously thought through. His and so his his routines were like written to down to the syllable but when you look at it you're like oh my god he's like so fast he came up with that out of the blue uh, so yeah, for me, that is the way, preparation, preparation, preparation. Mm.
0: Well, that, 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 that here's good. That, that is good to hear that coming from you. That that's really cool. And gives me some more confidence in my writing. Cause sometimes I stare at a, a cursor and I'm like, dang, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but I guess that that goes into the whole, the whole comparison trap. I think we talked mm-hmm. about that in our last episode of the, uh, overcoming imposter syndrome and all that kind of stuff. So right. thank you for that fun detour. I'm glad that we got a glance into some of your writing process. Um, oh, let's, let's go back a little bit to the, the, some of the overall themes that I think I identified from the book that I think were really applicable, but I wanted to make sure I remembered. One of them we already talked about, framing problems as a puzzle instead of a problem. You talked about don't get furious, get curious. Um, but there's another one that I wrote at the very top, and this comes from uh, the godfather of Sudoku. So you got a chance to meet him. Uh, His name is Maki Kaji, um, and and he sits, and you you have a chance to go see him, and he writes an equation on on the whiteboard, and that is something that has stuck with you. What is the equation that he wrote, and what does it mean?
1: Yes, the equation was he boiled down puzzles down to their essence in three symbols, the question mark, the arrow pointing forward, and then the exclamation point. And that really is what it is. Every puzzle boils down to you're met with a situation that's baffling. And then the, the arrow is the, the struggle, the, um, the work, the uh, figuring it out. And then exclamation point, aha, that's the aha moment. And by the way, I don't think it's just puzzles. I think this is a very good uh, sort of um, summary of, of stories of, of all sorts of journeys and one but one of the lessons that I love from Mr. Kaji is he said, "You've got to enjoy the arrow. Uh, it's uh, the you know the the other way of saying it the, enjoy the journey because you may or may not reach the destination. You've really got to enjoy the journey. you got to enjoy the trip up the mountain. And I love that because yeah, a lot of times I won't solve the puzzle, but I have to admire the craftsmanship of the puzzle. I've got to admire the. The, the fun different experiments that I try, so yeah, that was a great sort of life almost Zen lesson from Mr. Kaji.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I think another analogy I've heard is uh, to live the dash, uh, in mm. the sense that at the at the at the end of your life, when you have a gravestone above you, if you get buried, there's your birth date, a dash, and an end date when you died, and so at the end of the day it's a reminder that you have to the, the life is that dash it's the, the beginning between the beginning and the end and then it's really important to enjoy the whole process uh but obviously the, i the love question that. mark there you yeah. go steal that well button. just
1: to expand on that i mean there uh, my son is in a shakespeare play and there's the famous line um all's well that ends well but i think that's terrible because it's not nothing ends well you know you're gonna die So don't focus on the end. Focus on the dash, as you say. And uh, there's Louis C.K. used to have um, a a little riff in his stand-up comedy about when you give someone a puppy, you are giving them, you know, death because the puppy is eventually going to grow up and die. And I'm just like, that is not a good way to look at the world. You know, yes, it is. Everyone's going to die, but enjoy the dash. Enjoy the journey.
0: Yeah, one day you will miss picking up the dog poop when you don't have the dog anymore. You know, it's one of those things. Right. You just got to be grateful for <laughs> the craziness uh, throughout throughout the whole process. And right. one day you'll look back at it fondly. So, um, love that. Uh, another topic that's similar to uh, living the dash, I think that part of the way that we can do that is to – adopt several mindsets one of them you talked about the power of reframing things right uh but another way that you talk about in the book is being flexible with your thinking i think maybe i don't know if they're two distinguished things but i guess uh what i was curious as somebody that has done all these puzzles in this research for this book are there ways that you're i think people inherently know that being flexible in your thinking is a good thing but are there some ways that you can recognize when you're maybe not being flexible, or what are some strategies that you've kind of come up with to be more flexible in your thinking?
1: That's a great question. And yeah, to me, that is one of the hugest takeaways of this experiment is flexible thinking and almost holding beliefs uh, provisionally don't and probabilistically say, you know, there's a 40% chance that uh, that this is the right answer never just say this is the right answer or this isn't the right answer so to me that is very powerful even just putting a percentage on it and um i also think uh just writing in pencil instead of in pen and that can be metaphorically or that can be uh, uh, you know literally but metaphorically i do try to keep all of my beliefs in pencil, and I say, you know what, this is this is a hypothesis that seems to be true, but I if there's evidence that overturns it, I'm okay with erasing that. I embrace the eraser, and I'm okay with updating. So almost finding joy in updating your beliefs, finding joy in being proven wrong, as opposed to, um, but I, I do think, just to go back to The lack of flexibility, stubbornness is one of the huge problems in every part of life. In business, if you're not, uh, you know, pivoting might be an overused word, but if you are not able to adjust to what you see in the market, you're in trouble. If you, same with, um, and the same with puzzles. I, I did one of my adventures, I went to the hardest corn maze in the world. And the guy who owns it sort of stands on a platform watching people. Uh, and he sort of, he says he's like a god. He just watches the mortals in their foolishness. And he says the worst are, are teenage boys who are inflexible in their thinking. So they'll go down one uh, one little tunnel and they'll hit the wall. They'll go back. They'll try it again. And they just keep trying. No, you are never going to get through that wall. It's a wall. So you've got to adjust. Uh, and being able to adjust is, to me, that is one of the, uh, the secrets to success. And if you don't, if you fall in love with your hypothesis, that's where I think a lot of the problem, not just in puzzles, but in, in life, have you get people who are, um, come up with a, a theory and then find the look for uh, confirming evidence that's how QAnon starts that's how conspiracy theories start you've got to go in with curiosity you have got to go in like a scientist and being saying i'm not going to prejudge i'm just going to go in without an axe to grind and try to figure out what's going on
0: yeah It's also scary too with the AI and your news feeds and all that kind of stuff. Because you have, if you have a fixed mindset, like, and you're just constantly being shown more of what it, you know, the the Facebook feed thinks you're supposed to be seeing. It just kind of, kind of digs more of those roots in the brain, like you were talking about before. So I think it's important, and I love that analogy of having the eraser. uh, But keep in mind that the information that you're being exposed to is the, not necessarily the full data set, that there's probably more that you can explore, especially if you have the ability to have conversations with people that are um, you know, outside of your typical realm of doing things. So love that. Totally.
1: And, and I just to add on to that, um, I love following people on my Twitter and Facebook who I disagree with. I just find mm. that much more interesting than uh, being in an echo chamber so i really go out of my way even i have to be okay with being annoyed because you know reading something that you totally disagree with can be very irritating but i think that the benefits outweigh the costs
0: yeah love all that so i so let's let's go in a direction that this is really really interesting for me and very timely for me but in one of the parts of your book you talk about how you had the opportunity to create a puzzle for people, uh, for your wife's company, which is which is uh, Watson Adventures, which I had the chance to go and experience one, so anybody can go check out a, a Watson Adventure, which essentially, AJ, you can fill me if I'm wrong, but it's a, they do tours of local cities and kind of get you to explore a little bit that's more. It. That, they do, that's it's it. It's almost like
1: a game inside a museum or a historic neighborhood. Now, though, they do a lot uh, virtually, so they're virtual games and virtual scavenger hunts, which is what I designed.
0: Yeah, so cool. So so here's the reason why I'm really excited about this topic is because you had this opportunity to design the game. We've talked earlier on about reframing problems as puzzles. And I think that many, uh, you could draw the parallel between you know as you grow your business you're also solving a puzzle right like you have the different pieces that your customers you have the relationships that you have you have your pricing model you have your marketing you have you know all, all that kind of stuff so there's lots of uh, tweaks that you can make to your puzzle that is that is your business and you came you came across several insights uh, when learning how to create Uh, a puzzle uh, an effective puzzle and I love the first lesson that you talk about how the real goal is not to stump the solvers the real goal is to bond the puzzlers together through a shared struggle so maybe I'm uh, stretching the analogy a little bit thin, and maybe we can find the analogy here but I just think this is really important Um, and I I think there's something here so would you mind talking to that a little bit about the importance of that when you're designing a puzzle
1: absolutely and it's and it's just like what we were talking about earlier step back and say, what is it really I'm trying to solve for? And you could you could say when you start out making a scavenger or a puzzle hunt, oh, I'm gonna stump these guys. That's gonna be fun. Uh, they're gonna be so frustrated. No, that's not what you want to do. Uh, this is a, it's a team building. the The whole idea is to bring people together, to have them cooperate, have them sh- each show that they have their strengths. So. That's what's great about a team is you've got someone who might be good at the spatial thinking, someone who's good at the music someone who's good at the words and you want to create puzzles that appeal to all of those uh, but as as you say I think that is generalizable uh, when you're doing business you, you know you could be you could say oh my goal is I'm gonna you know make as much money as possible as quickly as possible but actually your goal is to, to have satisfied customers so that they'll come back and that you have longevity. So what can you do to have the happiest customers and yeah. still make money?
0: I think, okay, I just found the, the massive parallel for me that I, that I oh, was good. looking for, but now I found it. It's, it's um, you know, lots of times when you have customers or clients, you have to create a customer journey, right? Like what is the relationship that you're building with them? And in many ways, that is like designing a game and, when you have a client, your things aren't going to be happy and rosy the entire time. There's gonna be moments of hardship or things that you have to solve or fix together. And so I think that that's a, an important frame to have, at least that's a conclusion that I'm drawing, is that it's not, yes, the outcome is to help your client get the result, but at the end of the day, Part of it is the the shared struggle and what you learn as a result of going through things together. And so, if you're cognizant of that being part of the journey, um, you can kind of create different ways that you can actually make that process understood that it's going to happen for them, and then also help people through through those moments and um, you know foster teamwork and all that kind of good stuff in the middle of it. So that was that, that was the, That's the aha good. I had. <laughs> nice.
1: I think that's a great aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, almost uh, say that it's a, almost you are playing a game with them. You're going on this journey with them as yeah. opposed to. Uh, yeah, I love that. And and another part of puzzle making that I think is somewhat relevant to any part of life, including business, is great puzzle makers give you aha uh-huh moments throughout the puzzle. So for instance, the, there's a genre called the Japanese puzzle box where it's these amazing intricate wooden boxes and you have to move these panels to eventually open the box. Sometimes you have to move over a hundred different panels. Uh, now the worst kind are where you get no feedback and it takes you a hundred moves but you don't know are you, are are things going in the right direction? Are they in the wrong direction? So a good puzzle will give you like a little aha! Oh, that drawer opens! That means I'm on the right track! and i think that's important for any whether it's art or for any business give let people know where they are and that they're all on the right track
0: mm. Yes, we're all little. We, we all need the the gratification points, right? Exactly. Exactly. You, you exactly. have the like the little pigeons. You got to have to release a pellet every once in a while <laughs> when you're solving you solving the problem. Um, another another thing that I saw in game. This wasn't necessarily in the chapter about you creating the game, um, but I just saw this throughout the book of basically alluding to the power of contests throughout these puzzles. Like there's one about like. Um, it was where, where was you did people this book called Masquerade that you talked about. There was people digging up lawns to try to find something, and there was another one that I highlighted about um, like there was a hundred thousand dollar prize, and people spent one hundred sixty million hours on the tournament. So basically, what I saw I was like, wow, it seems like if you have a well designed contest. Uh, it can create lots of buzz. It can create lots of excitement. Um, and obviously you're doing this with with your book, hiding a puzzle inside of it. So I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit about what you've observed of the power of creating a contest when designing a game or a competition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this book, I was inspired by that book, Masquerade, which came out 40 years ago. Uh, and the guy had hidden a gold rabbit a little sculpture of a golden rabbit somewhere in england and people just went nuts and they dug up as you say they dug up hundreds of gardens and they were uh, it was just um, a mania so i thought you know i should do a contest so in the book itself there is a a hidden uh, a hidden code uh, that if you crack it you can put it into the puzzlerbook.com website and it'll open up this uh, amazing puzzle contest, which was written by a friend of mine and some of his colleagues. And the first team or first person, I mean, to solve that wins $10,000. And it's going to go on for a month because the puzzles are going to be released one at a time. And I am hopeful, it seems so far, that it's going to Create a lot of buzz, and I think the the hope is a um, you know people love secrets they love to discover things so this is a, a fun way for them to discover, and also the key is I I hope to make it so much fun that even if you don't get that ten thousand dollars that you'll you'll say to yourself well that was worth it that was a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got it for free. I got it for free just from getting the book, uh, or reading the book. So anyway, I am, yeah, I'm a big fan of contests and, and to me that's marketing a book is, is like a puzzle. It's like, how do you, how do you, um, instead of just sending out a hundred books to a bunch of radio stations and, and hope for the best how can i proactively come up with really interesting ways to uh to market this and and the contest is one uh but i have a whole list of of other uh, ideas that I'm going to be implementing that I'm excited. Maybe that about.
0: came from a, a morning brainstorming session of yours. Uh, d- different different ways there to market you go. the book. Another another use case for that. I, I and I've been <laughs> thinking a, a lot about this, uh, especially because I just finished reading Ready Player One uh, and mm-hmm. watching the movie. I don't know if you've watched that, AJ, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, the whole thing is yeah, so so good. And so I've been thinking a lot about how to to create unique experiences to gamify things for the people that you're working with and just make it more fun i think i think that's kind of the, a huge takeaway i had is just like how could you design an experience that you know has these the the question mark arrow exclamation point uh, you know as as part of the experience for all the people that you're working with um, and yeah I just I think there's a lot of fun when you when you play with that so that's been kind of my mindset shift as a result of going through that's great. some of this as well.
1: That's great. Yeah. Well, you certainly make your podcast fun, so it is <laughs> a joy. I what I love about it is that yeah, I I feel I learn, but I also have a good time. So I'm hoping that I'm providing some entertainment but uh of but course. you you have a um you have a great podcast in that respect
0: thank you thank you okay so uh, a few more things and then we'll kind of wrap things up one other thing in the topic of game design you talk about constraints yields creativity so can you talk a little bit more about the importance of that
1: oh yeah i think there's nothing that is worse for creativity than the blank page so if you tell someone write a poem they're just gonna look at the blank page and be overwhelmed. So much better to say, write a poem from the point of view of an elephant or write a poem uh, about uh, a quinceanera. You know, give them something specific. So the more, uh, it's a paradox, but it's so true that the more you are constrained, the more creative you can be. And that's why I think when you're coming up with ideas, don't just sit there in front of a um, you know blank page, say, I'm going to come up with 10 ideas, uh, 10 business ideas uh, related to bicycles or 10 business ideas related to transportation. Then you're much more likely to come up with interesting ideas than if you just look at the blank page and, mm-hmm. uh, and try to spin something out.
0: I'm just realizing a tickle as to where I've heard someone else say this before, and I think it's somebody that you're close with. Does James Altucher do this too? I feel like I heard him mention something like this. Maybe, maybe you don't know. Oh, yeah.
1: Like no, we talk about either. it all the time. That okay. We are both big fans of of brainstorming, uh, and he's he's more rigorous. He he does say uh, he tries to get – I forget whether it's 10 or 20 ideas a day. I I'm okay more with – if I do it, you know, for 15 minutes and uh, come up with 70 ideas or two ideas. Uh, but he is also a believer in that. And he is one of the most prolific creative people I know.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. There's a huge takeaway for everyone. I think I'm going to try to maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll make that as a public commitment to you, AJ. I will make that a challenge for the next week to come up with 10 things. <laughs> and, and I see where that goes. love and maybe, that. M- maybe I'll, I'll add that as something moving forward. So uh, thank you. Thank you for that. One, I I guess something else that not related to puzzles that I I wanted to ask you about because I I mentioned doing improv. I sat down with my wife earlier uh, and I was like, "What are some fun things that we can do to kind of really start to build our quote-unquote life resume?" Um, And I, I heard this term come from Jesse Itzler who he's got, I guess I don't need to explain all this stuff, but I think you, of, of many of the guests that I've had on the show, you have the most interesting life resume of, of basically <laughs> anyone. Not many people can say this, and I think that this is a topic that at, as, as you live the dash, as you look back at your life, you know you can probably look back and remember the time that you walked into the cia or the year in which you were living biblically or the year you were trying to track everyone down to thank them for it uh so i thought this would be a great opportunity to ask someone that has a really unique life resume what tips or advice you would give to somebody looking to build that out uh as as from the perspective of the human guinea pig himself
1: (laughs) Ah, well thank i love that uh question and and i also i'm i'm uh, so happy for you that you're taking improv i w- I want to do that, so let me know how it goes sure we'll because do it. uh yet yeah, that is one of my 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 big crusades or or uh mantras is experiment with life all you can uh and you don't have you know I'm lucky enough that I can make a living of doing the more extreme experiments like <laughs> growing a huge beard and wearing biblical clothes for a year. Uh, But you don't have to. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It can be little things. It can be uh, not gossiping for a week, or uh, you know, trying to eat, trying going vegetarian for a week. It could be going, uh, you know, keto for a week. It could be um, uh, uh, taking improv classes or or new types of classes. Going to to vowing to always go to a new restaurant, never repeat a restaurant. And to me, like we were talking about the ruts that we form in our brain, this is such a crucial way to keep us from getting those neural ruts and to keep our brain loose. And to me, it's just a much, uh, uh, I, I just find it a much more pleasurable way to live because you are experiencing all new stuff. You are you're constantly challenging yourself you're constantly learning and uh, so yeah just push yourself to do experiments make pledges do them publicly so say when you announce something then you're more likely to do it and and again don't uh, don't think you have to do a huge experiment they could be tiny they could be walking a different way to work every day Mm. trying a new toothpaste
0: yeah I try to, I've, I've been trying to do things that I, my gut reaction is I don't want to do that and then forcing mm. myself to do that. <laughs> so nice. I, I, I haven't publicly signed up for it or committed to it, but I want to do a marathon this year. And that just seems what? like something I've never done before. And I, I'm not a runner. And I had a friend that went from zero to doing a 75 miler. He's like, just do a 75 miler. What? And I'm like, <laughs> let me start with a marathon first, dude. Like, <laughs> don't just throw <laughs> me into there. But, uh, but anyways, that's
1: insane. Well, good luck. I hope that uh, works. Yeah. I've never done that. I've never done that. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Well, I I just think that that's an important thing for everyone to think about is like, if you look back at 2022 or 2021, can you point out something that was exciting that you did? And maybe like AJ said, it's not something crazy. Like another really simple thing that my wife and I did is we bought a year pass to all the state parks. And like, that's Mm. a fun thing that we can do together is just go and do those state parks. You know, nothing crazy. I think the state pass was 50 bucks or something like that for the entire year, but, like, you know, it's a good excuse to go out and attempt something new. So I've been just thinking about more and more about that, and so uh, I think it's a a fun way to spice things up and, like you said, to erase some of those neural pathways. Um, So... Lo- that, yeah, so uh, AJ, I know we're kind of coming up on time here. Any any final fun stories or, or things that you wanted to dive into that we didn't cover with the puzzler? I mean, I know you've alluded to your MIT mystery hunt. You you know, you talked about some of the crazy Japanese puzzle boxes. Um, <laughs> anything that you you, you want to dive into that you think would be fun that we didn't get to?
1: Well, I did love my trip to the CIA uh, to visit the, one of the hardest unsolved puzzles in the world, which is this uh, sculpture called Kryptos which has a bunch of mysterious symbols on it. And, and people have been trying for 30 years to figure out the code. They've cracked part of it, but still remains uncracked. To me, the big takeaway of that is is grit. I mean, these people, there are hundreds of them, and I, I'm on uh, an online forum with them, and they are every day, they're out there trying. Maybe it's Morse code. Maybe it's uh, you know related to the um uh, you know native american languages they've got all sorts That's of crazy. theories and uh so yeah when i sort of i'm helping my son with his homework math homework and i want to give up after two minutes and i say to myself you know 30 years the people have been trying it for 30 years i can give it another <laughs> few minutes so yeah to me they're just a lot of and i mean most of all i hope that uh, it's a fun book to read because it's got tons of puzzles, both old and new, historic, the oldest puzzles and the newest puzzles. So, uh, which to me is is crucial. Like we, you know, puzzles can teach us life lessons, but they're also fun
0: for sure. And I would encourage everybody to to pick up the book and go down the little rabbit holes. Like, I don't know, whenever I I guess maybe it's because I knew I was interviewing you, but I like to go a little bit deeper sometimes and you mention a mm. name and like, "Oh, let me go check out their YouTube channel." So, I had a ton of fun checking out Kagan Schaefer. Um and it, I I will I will I will put a link to a YouTube video that I found, but did you want to really quickly talk about what what he did cuz I think this is mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, he is one of the great Japanese puzzle box makers in the world, but he also <laughs> His sort of uh, Sistine Chapel was that the director, Darren Aronofsky, uh, who you might have heard, he's he's a great director, he asked Kagan to make him a puzzle desk. So Kagan spent four years and almost went insane. He says that he he almost, uh, you know, he stopped seeing people and just spent all his time obsessing over this puzzle desk. And it's got... Like 25 puzzles, you have to solve these puzzles to open the drawers, and it, uh, and it is just wild. And and there's an there's sort of a meta puzzle in it that once you do solve it, it plays a tune on a, sort of a pipe organ, a wind pipe organ. Uh, And and even more, you can change the tune if you uh, program it in different ways. So it is just the most complicated and hilarious desk ever created by humans.
0: Yeah. I was blown away. Like, it's just like, and he says, he does the, the video I'll put in the show notes for anybody that wants to experience it. But like, he's like, this is one of two puzzles. And it's just like, there's 26 more. Uh, so <laughs> that was really fun. I also had fun exploring. Um, I forget the guy's name. He's a YouTuber that you talk to, but he does, he has this really famous YouTube channel about, uh, doing puzzles on. And Chris Ramsey. I think and,
1: r- Right. Yeah. How,
0: yeah 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 yep and and i watched the video that you alluded to about solving the radio puzzle oh yeah <laughs> uh about like he just like the solution to the puzzle is called it was a bad radio and so what do you do to the, with a bad radio is you smack the shit out of it <laughs> so a 2500 hundred dollar puzzle he just smacks the top of it and he opens and he just freaks out so uh, i had a lot of fun going down those rabbit holes i'll put those in the show notes but uh so yeah so lots of hidden gems in the book um A.J., what's the, where do you want people to go to go check it out it's, uh, and get uh, the book? It's
1: called The Puzzler, and it's on uh, at all indie bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it. And uh, and I think it makes a great gift for uh, your puzzle-loving friends, so even if you don't uh, love puzzles yourself. so But uh, but I, as you can see, I love talking about it, and, and, Brandon, you are a joy to talk to. So thank you for having me back.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for being back. You're welcome back for any any of your crazy adventures anytime. And yeah, I, I think that was just so cool for me is whenever i get to see a world of i think you mentioned this somewhere in the book but it's like whenever you can see a world of people that are passionate about something it's just so cool to see the the, the depths in which the world opens up like the, another person you alluded to is this person that solved the forty two thousand piece puzzle it was, it was like 26 year old jigsaw puzzler and there was the other one oh that was the other one i watched is like the the guy that creates these impossible puzzles that don't conform to having edge pieces oh, yes. it's like there's empty space and they he they they call him the 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 troublemaker or something like that because he just creates anguish for yeah people he is <laughs> the, in like these impossible to figure he, out i think <laughs>
1: chief tormentor is what he calls himself that's his chief, job yeah
0: chief tormentor. yeah
1: these are the craziest yeah, so, jigsaw puzzles you've ever seen
0: yeah so all that can be found inside of the puzzler and more if you want to go down that that rabbit hole and I guess I'll just have a conversation with you listening right now really quick if you're brand new this is the very first episode you decided to listen to and you decided to find out about all the crazy adventures of AJ Jacobs and the puzzler I'm super glad that you are here today and if you didn't listen to episode one despite our warnings go back and listen to episode one with AJ uh, because that that was uh, a whole nother world of all the crazy experiments that AJ has done Uh, and if you're returning thank you so much for coming back you know how how much i appreciate you coming back week or week uh weekend and week out and whether you're new or returning the favor that i always ask you is that if you've listened to a story today that made you laugh that you think would would make a friend's day please share it with them my life has absolutely been changed by good podcasts um so whether you choose to do that or not i uh aj and i both appreciate you so much so thank you for listening and aj thank you so much for being here any final things that you want to say as we walk out today no
1: thank you again and uh i can't wait to listen to more of your episodes Even ones without me as a guest.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, AJ.
1: Thank you.